This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Tony Jordan, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you, Cheryl. It's a delight to be here. It is so exciting. We are in the studio, person to person. You are here, Globetrotter. <laughs> I am here, yes. I am in Sydney. But because of COVID, um, the last person to person podcast I did was in San Francisco with Isabella Orlande. Oh, well, this is in this chair, I feel very honoured. And um, it's a very exciting moment. It is a very exciting moment. And I feel really chuffed to see you today. I've been excited all day uh, about chatting with you. For those that uh, know Tony and for those that don't, she is the uh, best-selling author of six novels, including Edition, which was long-listed for the Miles Franklin Award and won the Indie Award for Best Debut. Uh, then Nine Days, which won the 2012 Indie Award for Best Fiction Book, and Our Tiny Useless Hearts, long-listed for the International Dublin Literary Award. Tony has a Bachelor of Science in Psychology and a PhD in Creative Arts. She previously worked as a molecular biologist and quality control chemist before becoming a writer. Now, what this doesn't say in our intro is the impact of addition. Oh my God, tell me about that. Well, um, I will just say that my Bachelor of Science is in physiology oh. because psychology makes me sound far more, <laughs> far You smarter. know, you're right. I just misread that. <laughs> no, because like I think, but I fancy myself a psychologist, so I cannot quite understand that. Um, but addition, you know, it was my first novel. I it, remember it so clearly. It was the first piece of fiction I'd ever written, Cheryl, and it just, I just never imagined this world of stories that would really open up for me. I, I'd never seen myself as a creative person and uh, it's just, now I'm just obsessed with writing fiction and I can't stop. Tell me what edition was about. Well, it was really the story of a woman who counted things. Mm. She counted things in lots of tens and uh, she was the kind of person who, who kind of needed that kind of control of her life. She needed to work out where everything was and, and she divided her whole life into tens. Mm. And that has some challenges. <laughs> well, do you know, I remember when I first read it and I didn't know anything about you at the time because it was your first book. But when I read that your background is science, then the book made a whole lot of sense to me. That you really blended science and fiction and creativity so well together and storytelling. Oh, thank you. It, it was just a delight to um, get people's responses to that book as well. So what, what was amazing to me is I would go to, for example, a library and do a library talk. And librarians are always gorgeous when you visit their library and they're happy to have you here. And, and they would say things to me like, you know, we're just setting up for the talk. 
there's only going to be nine chairs in the front row. Is that going to freak you out at all? Or, you know, if we start at five past six instead of six o'clock, like, because they think it's me, right? They think I'm the compulsive counter who divides things by tens. So at first of all, when this started happening, I was, I I didn't know how to feel about it. But then I I was entirely flattered because I felt like they were saying the character was so real to them that I must have been writing about myself. And there was huge empathy for that character. That book, I mean, back in the day, it just sold so many copies, didn't it? It was, you know, it, it sold in something like 16 countries. Yeah. Uh, the the word I'm hearing is that the film will start this year, <gasps> start filming this year. How exciting. Um, Who's so, making it? Do you um, know? Well, that, it's, uh, it's a co-production, so um, Made Up Stories is part of part of it, but, but you know, these things... I'm a natural pessimist when it comes to these things. So if it happens, it'll be fantastic. But um, Mm -hmm. so, you know, that should happen. You know, it was a bestseller in Germany for a long time. Mm -hmm. I think it's translated into 14 languages or something Mm -hmm. like that. So I went from never having, not knowing an author, never having met one, to to publishing this book. It was amazing. Mm So um, we'll talk about dinner with the Schnabels shortly, but with with our podcast, we like to know how you came to writing, sure. right? And I want to know where is it? Once a scientist, always a scientist. Do you know what I mean? Like, tell me how you came into this creative world, and is it who you are, or you sit in both places? I, I do think once a scientist, always a scientist, but I do think there's more creativity in the sciences in all STEM than people generally uh, understand. I think certainly in the science that I did, molecular biology, you really have to kind of an, imagine the solution to a problem before you can devise an experiment to test whether it makes sense or not. So I, I think the sciences are an extremely creative kind of field. Mm-hmm. Go back to when you were a child. Were you interested in science then? Always. But I was also, the thing that I really liked to do as a child was play dolls. Like playing dolls. I had one side of my room that no one was allowed to walk on with an entire like Barbie house kind of set up with couches, some proper furniture that I'd gotten for birthdays and other things that I'd made out of like toilet rolls stuck together and and a very complicated like telenovela kind of ongoing melodrama wow. story that, that I would play, you know, when I got home from primary school and then go to bed and catch up like another episode the next night. So I, I had this very um, rich kind of inner life of telling stories and that's what novels really are to me. Mm-hmm. They're just like playing dolls without the dolls. Like mm-hmm. I get to make up characters and have them do things. Do you know, I've spoken to over 400 authors in the last couple of years and no one has ever said that to me. <laughs> I get the storytelling that, of course, when you're, you know, with play and very often I love dolls so much. I love Barbie Barbies. so much. Oh. I love Barbie so much. But yes, I wanted Barbie to do things. And so she was always in a story. And then I got Ken and then I got the camper. I'm the um, same. Yeah. Did yeah. you not just love that? I and had all the, the whole, yeah, yeah, I had everything going on. Like I had, um, she had a niece. I can't remember what her name was, but um, Skipper, was it? Cindy? No, I, I did have a Cindy, but oh, I think she was a different <laughs> kind of family. But, you know, they had these lives. She would fight with Ken and then she would go to work and something would happen. Like it was a very kind of world. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, it is storytelling for sure. Okay, so you've got um, half your room's full of dolls and stories. What's the other half full of? Uh, well, lo- lots of books. Yeah. Um, my parents were not readers. So mum had a TAB agency and dad, they divorced when I was young, but when he lived with us, he was a greyhound trainer. So we had dogs, yeah. greyhounds under the house. Um, and my first job was at the TAB and, you know, they weren't bookish kind of people, mm. artistic in any way, but they had such... I was kind of odd, <laughs> but they were intensely patient with me. So every second Tuesday night, mum would drive my sister and I to the library oh, so we could pick it. our books and she would sit in the car and listen to the trots on the radio while we went inside and picked out our books. But they were just so, you know, my mum's uh, dead now, but when I wrote the first book, she was like, that's great, love. And then, she, you know, the next year she said, what are you doing now? I said, I'm writing another one. And she said, another one, love. Like, <laughs> like it was really quiet. That reminds me of a story that Michael Robotham, who I know you know, he told me, you might have heard this, I think it was his first book or second book, and his parents are great readers. I think his mother's a big reader, and he gave her a copy of his book. The next time he saw her, he said, oh, Mama, you know, what did you think if you read the book? She said, no, I haven't read it yet. It's on my pile of books. Do you want me to read it next? <laughs> right, right. There's a <laughs> priority. Yes. Well, you know, I have the I had the opposite thing with my parents. So my dad, for example, has read all my books and I would I strongly guess that they're the only fiction certainly he's ever read. So he thinks I'm a bona fide genius mm-hmm. because you know, it's not like he's going to read a Margaret Atwood and say, I'm falling short. He's like, this is amazing. How do you do this? Like he's completely blown away. I love it. So where was the science as a child? And what did you say you were a little bit odd? Talk to me about that. What made you odd? Was it the love of science? I think, um, you know, for for a family like mine who were who was very, a very working class family, um, they were, uh, kind of a, a, a surprise that I, not really surprised, but I don't think anyone quite expected me to be good at school. Mm-hmm. And I think when a family like that is grappling with the first generation that's going to go to university, it's easier to have something that's a job, you know? Mm. Like if I'd gone to them and said I wanted to study arts or literature, they would have gone, well, what are you going to do with that? Mm. So they were very keen on me doing medicine, um, but I just knew that that was not the sort of thing I wanted to do. I did a few electives in first year science and like I just could not do that. But they understood. Like studying science, I understood. I could be a a researcher or a chemist or something like that. So it Mm. was a kind of an an easy university qualification for for the first generation of the family who would go to university from school. Mm. Um, And so how does uh, science transpire at a young age? Um, well, you know, I got all, all those things that you imagine sciencey kids get. So they get a bug catcher and they get a little microscope mm, and National Geographic. Yeah, right? and yeah. and um, Mum bought me all these plastic body parts like a skull, so I could see the <laughs> names of the things. And you know, I I kind of love all that. And I I'm always fascinated with how the body works, and I want to know the answer to things. And working in research, I I worked for five years in quite an obscure field, which is to uh, specific proteins in the blood of horses. Right. So I'm like, I was like for a time, the world pretty much expert on two tiny proteins in horse blood. And that was really a fascinating field that I really adored. Um, and what were you trying to find out? Well, back then, people would pay 
hundreds of thousands of dollars for the offspring of some horse that of won course. the Melbourne Cup. Yes. And then when I looked at the blood, I had to tell them that they were not related. Uh, right. <laughs> when I really went into like the shape of these proteins and the number of ions they carried and the charge that they were not related. So, but isn't that through DNA? Well, it is now. Uh, so this okay, this field okay, that I specialised in for so long got was it. was in a matter of months just completely. Like it's so easy now and it was so hard back then to determine parentage. Yeah, um, wow. Isn't that amazing? I, I can't remember when. So do you know when DNA came about? Um, I stopped doing that work in probably 91, something oh, like that. So, around so it was, yeah, shortly after that kind yeah. of. It, and talk to me, what's molecular yeah. biology? Well, it, it's kind of a branch of biochemistry really right. is the way to think about it. So it's it's about the the human body w- working on a very small scale, on a tiny scale of proteins or um, proteins for me, protein chemistry, so a tiny little um, part of how the human body works. Right, okay. So uh, I've got so many questions. <laughs> so then... Are they about horse blood, Cheryl? Because no, I'm they're a girl. <laughs> they're about horse blood. You just ask them. <laughs> um, no, I don't know. Uh, I know horses are beautiful animals, but that's all I know about them. So my question is, so you're working as a scientist and is it that you've got in your head a fiction story? Like okay. how does that transition happen? Well, I'd moved on from that research job and then I got another job running a lab for a pharmaceutical company, so right. testing their right. products. Um, and then I got a job writing drug applications, new drug, new chemical entity applications. Mm-hmm. So whenever a this is not my most riveting kind of 400-page manuscripts. Yeah. I don't advise you to read them. But um, if a pharmaceutical company wants to release a new drug, they have to prove to the TGA here in Australia and a number of agencies all through Asia that I looked after that it's safe and that it's going to work and all that. Very so important. It was my job to write yeah. these things. This was really the first writing job, like 400-page new chemical entity dossiers. Did um, anybody ever read them? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was a, it's a really long process. Yeah. And I kind and of, so it should be. Yeah. And I loved this. Mm. I, I, it was, it was really drilling down into, you know, molecular shapes and sizes and bioavailabilities and all the pharmacokinetics that come with, mm-hmm. um, it doesn't sound fascinating, but it was. I, I just promise. don't understand it, but I'm nodding. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, um, <laughs> But, uh, you know, um, I found it uh, difficult to have that kind of an office job where I had to roll up every morning and sit at my desk and make these dossiers. Mm. And Robbie, my husband, he said, if you get a qualification in writing, because I I have qualifications in science but none in writing, if you get a qualification in writing, you can set up your own business like as a consultancy, scientific writing consultancy. Oh yeah. And yeah, yeah. and kind of just work for on contract from home for the companies that you want to work for. Because I had a lot of connections by then. Yeah. And I thought this was a great idea. So I enrolled in a TAFE course, two yeah. year TAFE course in professional writing. And I chose a lot of technical writing subjects and nonfiction and those kind of things. And then this is Robbie's second brainwave. He said, you know how you're obsessed with reading novels? You know Mm. how that's your favourite thing to do in the world? Yes. He said, why don't you pick one creative subject while you're doing this course just for the fun of it? And Treat yourself. I I don't really do things for the fun of it. I don't have a fun of it kind of brain. And I thought, oh, well, you know, might as well. Um, So I enrolled in a subject called writing a novel. And um, (laughs) it's pretty straightforward. Yeah. (laughs) 
it's writing a novel. It's what it's, yeah. It says it on the box, you know. Yeah. Um, and I, I started uh, an assignment in that first year and uh, about and I had a, a, an idea for uh, the assignment, which was a woman who counts things. And I wrote the 5,000-word assignment and then I kept going and kept going and kept going and kept going. And it just yeah. wow. really – I. This is why I'm I'm also a big fan of writing courses. I've yes. taught them in the past and I recommend them to people mm. because you you truly don't know what you don't know. And and if anything it opens doors, absolutely. doesn't it? Absolutely. It makes you, you think people. about the world in a different way yeah. and it makes you, you know, it, it, you don't have to, mm. you know, get that novel published, but it really does change the way you see narrative which changes the way you see the story of your own life. Mm. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So how did you get it published? How did you get edition published? I mean, it's one thing, as you and I know, to write a book. Yeah. It's a second, you know, another huge um, aspect is either finding an agent, even that, that's not enough, then it's yeah. being published. Sure. Tell me about that process. Well, I, I thought originally I, I had a slim chance of finding an agent mm-hmm. um, because, you know, I'm not famous and I didn't know anybody. So I thought that was probably not going to happen. So I made a list of uh, publishers that I liked and I I sent it to them. Mm-hmm. I sent it to the top publisher on my list mm-hmm. and um, I got a phone call and a contract within 10 days, I think. Yeah, wow. So, I mean, how extraordinary is that experience because it is a once in a lifetime it is. because you'll it never is. have a first novel again. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And then you've got your first novel, novel, debut fiction. You've got a science background if you've written a creative beautiful fiction book that I might say is so empathetic as well. You know, it's not just about numbers. It's beautiful storytelling. And then it goes on to be a bestseller. I mean, that's... Did you have to pinch yourself? It's just the whole thing was Mm. incredibly... You know, when I first got my first... The English copy, which was the first overseas edition that came in, was just shocking. And, you know, when I got the Russian copy, that was... Like I, I didn't quite know where to put that in my head, and mm-hmm. and you know the people. That's the most amazing thing. Mm-hmm. I've had the privilege. I mean, you do this every day, but but having conversations with these it's fantastic wonderful. writers, it's yeah, just it's, amazing. It's such a privilege. Isn't it, it is. I don't ever forget that. Like I, you know, we were just talking about San Francisco, and I'm only just back from there. But you know, going over on the ferry to meet Isabella Lunday. I had to pinch myself. Yeah. So how did you get here? I know. And it's, you know, beautiful. She turns 80 this year and just so giving and remarkable. And we are lucky. We are, It's we? just, you know, the whole, I know Alexander McCall-Smith, can I just say? Yeah, there you Like, go. you just go, 
I wish He's I could, been in here for I a wish podcast. I could go back in time yeah. and tell my little self playing yeah. dolls by the side of the bed, you're going to meet some really amazing storytellers. Mm. And it, it's, yeah, it's everything has turned out so incredibly. When so you, when you transitioned from that, did you, at what point did you give up working as a scientist to working full time? And tell me about that transition because that can't have been easy either. Yeah, I managed it for a couple of years, but mm. the field that I was in, you really had to keep up to date with it mm. because not only do drugs change very quickly, but government regulations change very quickly. And it was kind of getting to the stage where you you were in or out, really. Mm. So I had to make a yeah. call. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I left that behind. I, I couldn't do it now. You know, mm. I, I couldn't. Um, I'm too far behind. What do you think of COVID? I think mRNA vaccines are is going to, are going to change the world. Mm. That technology, I am a bit of an optimist at heart, as you mm-hmm. might know by my books. But I think that, you know, I, I can envisage a time 20 years from now when we look back and the people around then say, wasn't that COVID a great thing? Because that's how we got mRNA vaccines and that's what enabled us to make such great breakthroughs in cancer treatment and in all kinds of other treatment. So tell me how that relates to cancer treatment. Well, we don't even know yet. Like it's so new. We haven't even grasped the potential of this extraordinary technology. That 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 is the vaccine. Yeah, the the mRNA vaccines, the new ones. Right. Um, We just, it's been created in such a rush under such sort of fast and focused conditions that you can just, I can just see the extraordinary potential of this new technology. So you're saying that these vaccines, that new vaccine can be a cancer vaccine, for example? For Yeah, I, I think that it has enormous potential for all kinds of other therapeutic things that we never would have developed had we not have been oh, under wow. such pressure to make something. And also that really globally the whole world Every country has got, you know, the smartest people yeah. in science. I don't think on we it. quite appreciate the leap forward in scientific knowledge that this has brought us. Oh, isn't that interesting? You know, I mean, I've I've um, I've been reading obviously a lot, and I haven't got COVID fatigue because I'm interested a mm-hmm. little bit in. I mean, not to your level, <laughs> but I am interested in the science, and I often have a look at the stat, the vaccination stats, and I I think, wow, you know, I mean, I've had my third vaccine, and hopefully there'll be a fourth one. Yep. Um, and we did this in, what, three years? It's just extraordinary. It is extraordinary, isn't it? We yeah. just don't know what we can do with this technology yet. We don't mm. know the rest of it, the rest mm. of the story. I hadn't thought about that. Interesting. Okay, so going back to writing, so you go out there and you put out this magnificent book and then you have to do a follow-up. That's hard. Yeah, that was really hard. <laughs> that is hard. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you, that was no. really hard. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Talk to me about that. Well, um, I think the when you're writing your first book, especially... Mm for me because no one knew who I was. No one was expecting anything. Mm. I would, you know, read out little bits to my husband and if I made him laugh, that was really the goal, really. Mm. Um, And, you know, I had no really higher um, imagination because when you do a writing course, the first thing they tell you is you'll never get published. So Mm. there was no one looking at me. And then uh, when I was trying to do the the second book, you know, I'd been long-listed for the Miles Franklin mm. and I'd wow. been shortlisted for the Barbara Jeffress and Helen Garner one and I had drinks with her beforehand. Mm. Like, I'm nobody, right? Mm. The whole thing was kind of, I had to try and I spent some time recreating the circumstances in my head. Like, 
I would think, what did I have for lunch when I was writing that first book? Like, how did I even try to duplicate this kind of not knowing anything headspace? So the second book was really hard. But after that, um, you know, the third book was Nine Days and that that is still now on the VCE list in oh, Victoria. Yeah. So English students study that book. Mm-hmm. So almost every week I get to speak to these bright, engaged VCE students mm-hmm. um, about the so, book. How do you approach writing? Are you now, do you approach it like you pr- approached your job? Because there's so many stories that I've heard different ways, you know. Um, some people have children, so they, you know, yeah. write between 10 and 2. And some sure. people, you know, have a job and some people yeah. don't, but they like to write in bed. And how does it work out for you? Well, I don't have children, so I'm fortunate in that respect for my work. Yeah. Um, but I have to do a thousand words a day, right? That's my... Of course you do. <laughs> Of course, we're counting words. (laughs) But, uh, like, that's my rule. Like, I've got to do a thousand words a day. But I don't, I'm not, I don't misunderstand that that's the work, right? Yeah. All the word counts and the little rules are just to keep my brain busy, the front of my brain busy. Yes. So I don't overthink things and stuff everything up. Yeah. So that's just keeping these wheels of the front of my brain. I'm an enormous believer in the power of the unconscious mind. Mm. And I think my biggest challenge is always just getting out of my own way. There's a mm. there's a kid, there's an eight-year-old girl inside me who is trying to play dolls mm. and provided I don't overthink it mm. and um, mess with that impulse, I'll be okay. So a lot of the little rituals are about distracting myself so my unconscious can get down to business. Mm. So when you sit down to write your thousand words, this is what happens to me, is I um, sit down to work and obviously not writing, but whatever it is I'm doing, I think, hmm, did I empty the dishwasher? <laughs> so I get up and I check. Oh, yes, I did empty the dishwasher. I said, hmm, is there a hand towel in the bathroom? And I'll get up and t- do you do <laughs> Well, look, I have a theory about this and I know, I actually feel that you will relate to this, Cheryl. I think of my unconscious mind as a puppy, right? (laughs) You know I love dogs. I do. I do know that. Um, So I think it's like a a three or four month old puppy. Mm. Um, So how I approach my unconscious mind is with loving, kind firmness. So consistency, mm-hmm. but kindness. Mm-hmm. I would never be mean to my unconscious mm-hmm. or a puppy. Um, but they need to have a bit of consistency structure. and they, structure and firmness, right? Mm-hmm. You can't just let them get away with anything because mm-hmm. you'll have a nightmare on your hands, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But in a loving way. So the, when I first start a new project, maybe I do 100 words a day or 200 words a day, like I'm easy, gentle on myself because mm-hmm. I'm a puppy, right? Mm-hmm. But then when I'm into the story, it's time to really get to work. Mm-hmm. So I say, okay, 1,000 words today, right? And my unconscious goes, okay, 1,000 words today, no problem. But, you know, it's only like 9.30. So <laughs> if we looked at Facebook for a little bit, that would be okay, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and I go, okay, you know, we've mm-hmm. got all day for 1,000 mm-hmm. words and my unconscious goes, great. And yeah. so we look at Facebook and then... I go, okay, so back to the thousand words. And my unconscious goes, but you know, that would be much easier if we had a coffee. If we had a coffee, mm-hmm. really things would be better. And I go, okay, you know, we, you know, it's only 11. We can get yeah. it. We can do yeah. this. So this goes on, right? Mm-hmm. And then it gets to five o'clock mm-hmm. and I've done 650 words. And my mm-hmm. unconscious goes, yes, that's, that's, that's good. Yeah, that's yeah. not bad. Yeah. And that's when I have to go, Yes, but we said a thousand, and we're going to be consistent. We're going to be firm. Mm-hmm. And my unconscious goes, but, but, <laughs> it, it's like I want to 
No. Mm. We said a thousand. We're going to sit here till we do a thousand. So I sit there till I do a thousand, right? I sit there at seven o'clock, nine o'clock, eleven o'clock, one o'clock if I need to, to do that thousand words. But let me tell you, you only have to do that once or twice before your unconscious mind the next morning goes, a thousand words, let's get into it. Yeah, I can do it. It does not want to sit there at one o'clock in the morning any more than I do. (laughs) You just have to show it that you mean business. And when it knows that you mean business, it will come, right? It will respond. Tony, I'm going to take that on. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. It's it's like, it's not mean. I'm not like saying like 5,000 words in two hours. Like it's not impossible. It's got plenty of warning, but there are consequences and we just be gentle for firmness. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, you're toilet training a puppy. You don't mm-hmm. say you have to hold it for eight hours. Like, that's not fair. No. But you say, you know, at your age, you should be able to hold it for three hours. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I'll take you out after three hours, but you get no schmackos. You yeah. get no schmackos <laughs> if you pee on the floor. I don't see anything wrong with that. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Have you have you um, taught dog owners? No, I haven't. <laughs> Maybe that's another career for you. I could run two courses, like creative writing for dog owners yeah. and dog training for creative writers. There you Is go. That the plan? Um, Dinner with the Schnabels, the new book. I mean, I just, I'm, you know, and this is audio. Um, so if you want to see the cover, go get a copy because it's it's beautiful. It's so it's re- pretty. It's so it's pretty. It's so well done. Talk to me about the idea. I love the title, love the cover, love it. Well, I started this 1st of April in 2020. Oh, okay. So, you know, everything is kind of up in the air. Yeah. And I'm thinking, I know what was bringing me joy in that year, mm-hmm. 2020. And it was mostly things I was watching on television. I was watching Schitt's Creek and I was watching Ted Lasso and the sort of things I was gravitating to were stories of kind of messy families that were a bit flawed, but, and people were kind of maybe doing the wrong things, but for the right reasons. Um, And I just kind of thought that's the kind of story I want to write. I want to write a story of a family where they don't get it right all the time. Most families. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But, you know, their, their heart's good at the bottom of things and there's a lot of misunderstandings because as humans aren't great communicators really but I I wanted to write a story that that um had a bit of warmth and a bit of heart and and something that would replicate the kind of television I was drawn to. Well you've done it congratulations. Thank you so much. (laughs) It's been such a pleasure and a privilege and I can't believe this is our first podcast but Tony Jordan so lovely thank you. Thank you you so much Cheryl. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere. Or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere.
A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.